Some conditions might include stomach pain, nausea, vomiting, trouble swallowing, frequent chest pain, heartburn with wheezing, unexplained weight loss, heartburn lasting more than three months, or liver and kidney disease. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Squeezing the Orange of Social Science, a podcast co-hosted by myself, comedian Akinomo Bitan, and Professor Dan Cable. On each episode, the two of us pick apart peer-reviewed and published social science papers, and we squeeze them for their best bit so that you, the listeners, and viewers now as well, don't have to sift through pages and pages of academic literature. What's up, Dan? Hi, Akin. You know what hey, I like hey, about hey. psychology research, Akin? Hit me with it. I like how the rationality just goes out the window. I, <laughs> this study that we're going to talk about today is so fun for the simple reason that it works exactly the opposite as how most of us would think it would work. And that's got to be what's good about this stuff. That it, It's just showing us insights about how our brain works that you wouldn't get to without the research. Totally. And then once you're, I guess, exposed to it, all of a sudden things start to make a lot more sense. Like it starts to make a lot more sense as to why I guess this life experience can be so confusing yeah. at times. Yeah. Um, also what I'll do is I'll, I'll shout out the, uh, the, the paper and the, the authors as well. And then we can, we can start to squeezing because there is surprisingly quite a lot to like yeah. really squeeze yeah. about what is a very simple finding. So this paper is titled The Unintended Consequences of Argument Dilution in Direct-to-Consumer Drug Advertisements. And we're giving special shout outs to Nero Sivanethan of London Business School and Hemant uh, Kakar. Uh, Hemant, right. Hemant Kakar. I, 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 you know what? This is why you need to do the names, Dan. Like, I could I'm do. Just... <laughs> Hemant is now, he was a, a PhD student here at London Business School, and he is now at Duke University. And, oh, super. Uh, yeah. And they published this in Nature. Uh, it's called Nature Human Behavior, which is one of the more cited um, and high-impact journals that exists <laughs> because it is not only a very interesting counterintuitive effect they found, but it has massive practical consequences for how... Uh, basically how drugs get sold in these huge markets, you know, the United States. And I think, what did it say? United States and I think New it was Zealand. New Zealand. Yeah. I, th- I think it was New Zealand was yeah. the, the other kind of like big home for this. He says he thinks he's got the notes like right in front of him. <laughs> this is, this is the free flowing form of squeezing <laughs> the orange. Uh, it is. So yeah, I guess, I'm looking at it. It right? is New Zealand. <laughs> and, and listen, it's a four and a half billion dollar industry. And maybe we do want to kick off a little bit with like this weird thing that happens in these two countries and nowhere else in the world <laughs> oh damn that, that's like a great place like before we before we do dive into that though so like the the paper is looking at this idea of like the dilution effect and so what i'll do which i i, I very much enjoy i'm going to give like my dirty kind of like you know kind of like kiss the chef apron kind of barbecue <laughs> version of what i understand this thing to be and you can help us kind of like clean that up dan so what i understand about the the dilution effect is very often as as humans when we're trying to make a point when we're trying to persuade our leaning is to try to give the other individual as much information as possible 
And what can sometimes happen in doing so is that we now start to dilute the effect, the dilute the impact of the point that we're trying to make. So our point might just be one, two, and three. But once we now start adding four, five, and six, we're kind of, uh, I guess, well, we're diluting the effects mm-hmm. of one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. This is like, even I'm confusing myself now, but is that, is that making I would, I would sense? I kiss then? the chef. Should I kiss the chef? <laughs> Well, I actually think that that's, you know, that's um, what you kind of described is almost like the method and the effect itself would just be the idea that our brains will take all the different facts or criteria or pieces of information and then average them, even if some of them are really important, like heart attack or liver uh, cancer, right? But if you throw in there an occasional headache and... um trouble falling asleep, then our brain, for whatever reason, doesn't naturally put those really low and these really high. It's like, ah, it's about four. And that's what, (laughs) it's really weird. So here's the outcome. We can tell it really quickly. Giving people more information about risks actually makes them think it's less risky. Yes. Uh, You couldn't make it up. You couldn't make that up. It's like the more you tell them how risky it is, they're going to be like, it doesn't sound that risky. But if you just say it's a freaking heart attack, they're like, oh, I don't want that thing. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> no, don't give me that. That sounds serious. But if you're like heart attack, liver cancer, trouble sleeping, upset stomach, and your eyesight, they're like, eh, I'm going to take those chances. I mean, if it helps. <laughs> right. So like, I guess we kind of say that to then say, this paper is looking at direct-to-consumer advertising in pharmaceutical drugs, which for a lot of the listeners, you might just be a bit like, yeah, that's kind of not a thing because we're not in the States or New Zealand. But the overall effect is very important because when we go through this study, hopefully what we can say is, Yes, we might not be the consumers. However, there's learnings in here that we could possibly apply to different areas of our lives, whether it's us doing the messaging or whether we are on the receiving end That's really of good. messages. Good frame. Like here's one. Say you set up some date to go to somebody's house and it's like a housewarming. You're so bored the night comes. Like you just do not want to do that. And you got to cancel. If you tell them like, no, um, my kid fell and has to go to the dentist or whatever. That's one thing. If you say, my kid fell and had the dentist. Also, um, I have to meet the TV person who's coming in, like setting up the cable. And also, um, the fountain in the back is flooding a little bit. I might, and you start like, laying on, your believability goes down, right? <laughs> so too many excuses and you lack credibility. One really good one probably holds mm. for one. That's the, is that the benefit of having kids? That <laughs> you've just always got that one really that good. One. Yeah, just go right to the heart. <laughs> I think. Mean, I think. I think. Should I ever have? Should I ever have kids? They're they're going to have a lot of misfortunes. It's like <laughs> I'm getting almost, out of almost weekly. so many occasions. She like, fell again. Yeah, they're like, oh my god, Atkins' child is lucky to be alive. It's <laughs> I'm going to have like the. Uh, Okay, we're we're already shooting off on a tangent. Let's get back to this. So, because I had a question off the top, Dan. So, like, I understand that you grew up in the States where they have this practice. And I guess my question is, how does it work? Because I've I've been to the States and I've watched American TV where I've seen these adverts where they seem to be, you know, talking directly to the patient in terms of, you know, here's some Mm -hmm. medication for depression. Mm -hmm. Here's Mm -hmm. some stuff for ADHD. Here's some, like, sleep... 
But I, I'm a bit like, how does it work in terms of like purchasing that? Because when I hear the what the the drug is for, and also you know the side effects, for me it doesn't make sense that you could just go to the pharmacy and be yeah. like, oh, let me get like you know uh, <laughs> seven it. tabs. Yeah, like give me Here's what I think fill up happens. the bag. Here's cash. So yeah, what is the process? <laughs> I think that the way it went traditionally, meaning, I don't know, say 25 years ago, I'm making that up, but around 25 years ago, you would have drug, uh, meaning legal drugs, <laughs> pharmaceutical representatives, you could call them, going to doctors and trying to sell their own drugs. You'd have like a Roche person, a Novartis person, and they would go and try to sell their functional drugs, their legal functional drugs to doctors. And so if the doctor diagnose somebody as needing, say, an ADHD drug, or if you needed a depression drug, then you would sort of have top of mind, oh yeah, take this one. Not too long ago, and again, I don't know exactly when, um, they started allowing, the Food and Drug Association started allowing these ads from Roche, let's say, or Novartis, right to the consumer on TV. So like, after you're watching uh, some show that you like, in between, they would try to like hook you on some depression medicine. They would tell you about the advantage. And they'd spend most of the time talking about the advantages. And they would show totally. like a healthy, happy family doing some functional thing together. And so all the people, they're like, oh, that looks nice. But at the end, by law, they, um, they would put the, this need to say all the negative things, the side effects, the consequences that could be negative and so on. And so that's where this paper becomes so relevant because what would happen is if I watch that ad and I don't really listen much to the side effects, I go to the doctor and I say, like, I'm feeling kind of depressed and I'd like this drug, please. <laughs> yep. The doctor has to decide, but like, you're not asking for depression drugs. You're asking for like this particular one. Like what is one of the ones that they, um, it was called like Cymbalta, C-Y-M-B-A-L-T-A, Cymbalta. That's an they always have drug. these really attractive names, right? Of course. They make it sound so rosy, don't they? Fly, yeah, just flies off the shelf, man. <laughs> so that's how it works though. It essentially is circumventing the need for, frankly, the pharmaceutical rep to convince the doctor and you just give the need, the demand signal to the consumer who comes to the doctor and says, I want this one. Does that make That's sense? Such a, yeah, no, that makes, that makes total sense. It's, uh, it fits in line with what I imagined was happening. And I can only now imagine the frustration of doctors when patients now come in and they not only are they like, have they, not only have they self-diagnosed themselves on WebMD, <laughs> They're now like, if you could just complete the prescription for me. I've actually filled like, it out. If you could just I, go ahead and sign here and initial here. That's so right. Oh dear. That's so so, right. so Nero, um, oh gosh, uh, Nero and, uh, and, and Hemant, hey, Mark, they, yeah. uh, they set out to kind of, I guess, look into what was going on because, you know, there are some like ethical questions around this and are we doing what's best for the consumer i'm not even sure if that's the right word when it comes to ph pharmaceuticals but let's say the patients yeah. are we doing what's best for the patients or are we kind of like propping up this kind of like 4.5 billion dollar a year industry so they they set out to kind of like uh, uh, have a little peek and and, and look so um so yeah. should we should we get into like some of the yeah. uh, the, well, the the studies and one. what i love about it i mean there's so much to love this is a really powerful set of studies, and it's why it ends up in one of the best journals in the world. They go out and they get 804 people on this database that actually were 
people who might get it. So like they weren't just like some random people. They were like the right database to be asking. And then they listen, these real people who might take this drug, listen to a real drug commercial for this depression drug, Cymbalta. And um, half of the participants listen to the entire ad that's 78 seconds. And it's an audio commercial. They called that one like the full audio. And they're randomly assigned. And then the other half are randomly assigned to a very slightly shorter ad of 75 seconds. And in those three seconds, all of that was like that thing I did at the beginning where they were just listing and listing like these fairly small like headaches, maybe some dizziness, maybe a little trouble sleeping. They just nipped that little bit off so that what was left is all of the major things, but they cut off three of the minor side effects. It was less than 4% of the whole ad, just to put it in perspective. So like 96% of the ad was still heard. And simply by doing this random assignment, and then they had people rate how severe are the side effects of this drug and how attractive was the ad. And do you want to kind of give the reveal or do you want to like put anything else in there, Akin, in terms of like, um, something I forgot or anything I didn't mention? Well, I think what would be useful for for myself and mm-hmm. I guess for, for both of us, Dan, is to kind of start, I guess, unpeeling some of these numbers because yeah. so with the scale that they were looking at, this was a scale of like, you know, one to, to seven mm-hmm. in terms of like the severity of the mm-hmm. side effects. Mm-hmm. And so when people listen to the full audio, uh, the average, uh, I guess the average, the mean was a, about like a 5.43 in terms of how severe they deemed the side effects to be. So this would be like a 5.43 out of seven. Um, and then people who listen to the, man, I feel like, a, yeah, people who listen to the partial audio, so the yes, partial audio would have been just the main stuff in terms of, you know, these are like the major effects. This would have been like about a 5.62. I say about yeah. that. Those are the actual numbers that <laughs> yeah. are there. So yeah. like, you, could you help me kind of make sense of like yeah. the significance of this difference? Cause when I looked at it, I was just a bit like a 5.4 to a 5.6. Eh. Yes. But like, and yeah, if you is, can help me kind of. That is not a bad response, especially to this first study, because out of the, I think it's six studies, this one had the smallest effect size. And that is what that's called. It's, it's, if you ask somebody a question like, how serious are Cymbalta's side effects? And they rate it from one to seven. You might say to yourself, well, that's not much difference. It's a 0.2 difference. The way that we think of it is that this is what theoretical testing is for. It's saying that on average, is there a trend and does the trend fit the theory? So that's yes. kind of what you're saying. And in this particular case, even though that, you know, it's at point whatever two difference, it is statistically significant, which means it's highly, highly likely that this did not occur by chance, that there is yep. an actual trend that's under there. And in this case, it fits the theory, which is exactly opposite to what you would think. Yes. I think that's why this is such a... Now, later on, as we're going to see, some of the effect sizes are bigger. Some of them get into like the 0.5, which means it's like half a point. So moving from like a a 4 to a 3.5, that kind of thing. And still, by the way, listeners, viewers, you got to make up your own decision as to whether that's important. Um, You know, I'm not going to stand here and say, yeah, that's important. For me, what's compelling is that it's the opposite of what logic would say, because I think most of us would agree that logic would say is the more bad stuff you tell people about the drug, the more they ought to say, that sounds like a pretty shitty drug. (laughs) (laughs) They they ought to say, yeah, that sounds really risky, but that's not what's happening. 
Like what's so clever here is by telling them less information about risks, they're actually saying yeah. that sounds more risky. And that's totally. the dilution effect. That's that averaging, that mental cognitive averaging that we mentioned before. So, yeah, Akin, so- now that you're kind of like, you know, not a psychological researcher, uh, we all are, by the way, we're all psychological researchers, but you don't gather data. What is your take then with my answer? Like, do you, does your own gut tell you like, eh, it's not that important or how are you feeling about that? Well, I, I feel like it is very important for the reasons that you describe. And in addition to that, I'll add to this uh, in the sense of, I feel the other additional importance to it is if I have if I'm working in an industry that's worth 4.5 billion and, you know, I'm competing with some other big names in the pharmaceutical industry, that difference, like, should I ignore it? That could be worth like, you know, like several hundreds of millions of pounds. Like when a, when a, when a patient is choosing between two different, you know, uh, medications, and they've seen commercials on television, like my, I guess my marketing, my advertising yeah. campaign, yeah, could be the difference as to yes. whether this business survives or not. Right. Like so, such a good. But point. then also from the the patient perspective, it makes a big difference because ideally, as a patient, what I want to know is the risks that are most likely and what the likelihood of yep. those things are, because this is going to be medication that I'm consuming and I'm going to be the one that is living out these effects. So if there's like a very tiny percent chance of nausea, even if there's a big chance mm-hmm. of nausea, mm-hmm. I can get over nausea. But like, if there's a strong likelihood that I might have a heart attack, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I kind of don't really need to know yeah. about yeah. the nausea. Yeah. And, and so yeah. I feel like this is why I feel like not only is it a really cool finding, I feel like it's, it's really important as well. Right. Like, That's you know, really in the good. UK, yeah, in the UK, the, the, the GP is just like, yo man, I'm prescribing you this stuff, run it for this course. I don't really have much of a say in it. That's but right. if I was an, an empowered consumer, but this is about my health and it's something that I've not gone to school mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. like I mm-hmm. kind of would like them to be on my side. Okay. That's really good. I mean, in both of those, both the business uh, angle and the decision-making angle are really important. And so I, I'm, uh, I'm glad that it's at least clear. And again, the listeners and viewers, you make your own call about this. But one of the coolest things that I saw about this study was they then asked people to write down how many side effects you remember hearing. And I think this was really cool because what they found is that like, it's not that people didn't like notice that they were there. Here's what it says. Participants correctly remembered a higher number of major side effects in the full audio condition than in the partial one. So it's not that they didn't hear or remember the side effects. It's more like by putting the minor ones in there, it literally diluted how important the things were. That's really important to me because there would be a, there would be an explanation. It said, if you tell people more stuff, they're just going to forget the major ones, which is why you'd get the effect. That's not what happened. It's more like mentally the decision making process was flawed because naturally we're not weighting things and putting weights the way you might think a computer would, for example. Totally. So I think that that's really, it's a powerful, it's just one study and we're going to go through five more, but it actually, real sample, 
real drug ads, real simple kind of tests, straightforward, and ruling out alternative explanations in a pretty nice way. Totally. So they they went on. So last week we looked at uh, a study in which there was a bit of a replication. I say a bit. There was a, a, a replication crisis where they weren't able to replicate this. So what happens in this study and listeners, what we what we won't do is we won't go through all of the studies in as much depth because hopefully we kind of like getting a bit of like a, a foundation now in terms of what was going on. But they wanted to repeat the findings. So in studies two, there were studies two, A, B, and C. And the difference with studies two, A, B, and C is instead of it being audio, it was text. And that's also quite important as well, because even if it's not like prescription drugs, if you've ever found yourself in the supermarket and you're now trying to choose between two different types of hay fever tablet, for example, one of the things that you might check out is the side, are are the side effects. And so what this is kind of looking at is, in terms of whether it's like print media, like, you know, you're flicking through your magazines or you're on the internet and, you know, this stuff is being advertised to you. What happens when instead of it being the audio or the, the visual, what happens when we're reading the the information that's presented to us? That's right. so I don't know if there was anything from these three, Dan, especially that you wanted to kind of like pick at. I think if um, like, let's just throw out that they were in different types of drugs for different types of disorders or problems. And I think that's actually kind of important because we call that generalizability. Like if this only worked on depression drugs, that's an issue. But in this case, they looked at actual print advertisements for Lunesta, which Lunesta, get it? Lune, moon, you getting that? Uh, that's, des- <laughs> that's designed to treat sleep disorder. Uh, and then in... <laughs> <laughs> and then in that's study really two, me. <laughs> good. That's my goal. Uh, study two B, there was a, a actual prescription drug that was called uh, uh, Abilify. Abilify, and that um, what is that treatment of depression again? And and then in study two C, there's one called Concerta, which was uh, hyperactive uh, attention deficit hyperactive disorder ADHD. And so what does that mean? It means that you've got um, a bunch of people, and I mean a bunch of people, like in study 2A where they were looking at the one for um, this Lunesta for the sleep disorder, they had two people randomly assigned to one, and I mean, 200 people randomly assigned to one, 200 people randomly assigned to other, and they were able to replicate it. They found it. It was a you know pretty big effect size. This was 0.25 uh, difference between the scores. Yeah, just to clarify as well, sorry, before you continue, Dan, no, just no, to clarify, please. the it that they found was uh, the, the same effect from the study A, which is like in text format, they found that if you have, let's say you list three severe, like severe side effects, and you've got another group that look at six, but there's three severe and three minor. So when Dan, when Dan says, you know, they found it again, it's to suggest that the individuals who had just the three major effects they found the severity kind of higher than the individuals who had like the six with the three that were like, you know, a bit, let's say trivial. Yes. And you know, Akin, it's funny. Let me say something here just to kind of jump in and like remind readers how weird this is and uh, listeners and viewers and so on. It's the case, like it's a whole series of findings showing that when you give people lots of choice, you make them less happy with whether whatever choice they make. And again, it's just so counterintuitive because logically, you might think, well, if you give me lots more choice, I'm going to pick the one that I like the best. Nope. (laughs) You may pick one, but you're going to be less happy with it when you have lots of options. And why that's the case, we don't know. That's how it works. 
And so with this one, it seems really, really weird to say, if you tell people about more side effects, they're going to think it's less severe than if you just tell them about less. Totally. Yeah. Really strange. Really interesting. Um, and I think at this point, just looking at the uh, the time as well, Dan, I think we can safely jump to study free because sure. study free was one where they had a bit more of a unique intervention. And one of the things I did love about reading this paper as well is this is one of the papers where they went super light on manipulation. And I always joke about with Dan about how like these researchers, they get like, they really quickly get into like zany kind of like mad scientist territory. But I really loved the, how it was, I don't want to say like a hands off approach, but they tried to meddle as little as possible with what the, uh, the participants were experiencing. So it was as close to reality as you can kind of get. And, but in study three, they did want to look at, is there a way that we could, improve the the patient experience so one of the ideas that they had which they incorporated in study three which it followed a very similar model to studies one and the two a b and c but in study three one of the things that they changed was they had a condition where people would see the uh they they, i guess what they wanted to do is they wanted to isolate the major side effects so if you've now told a pharmaceutical company you've got to list all of this stuff but you do want to help the the patients, essentially. One of the things that you could do, which they, they tested, was to say, okay, then what if we put the major side effects in bold print and we, we up the font size so and we put in red? So mm-hmm. we're still including all of the information, but what we're now doing is providing a bit of like a visual cue to the person so that they realize, hey, there's a whole bunch of stuff that should happen or could happen but maybe pay significant attention to these. Um, and do, do you want to say what they found? Dan? Well, I think it's a, yeah. And you described it really well. And I think what they found is that the, uh, the brain works better this way, that essentially you can get rid of this cognitive process of dilution by categorizing this way. And they found that the, when they did this, there was no difference in means in between the major side effects condition where like you just talk about the really big ones and the complete ones where you, you sort of had the, they did two different things. They had, as Atkins said, red versus black text and bigger versus smaller. And um, it turns out that that didn't cause the effect, this dilution effect, but then they replicated, you know, whatever this is, a sixth time by now, they replicated the other one that when you put them the same font and the same size, they got that dilution effect. And so for me, this is actually a very clever and interesting study because you're not only replicating it yet again, but you're kind of showing that it is in fact because of that effect. You're, you're yes. saying it's because of this cognitive process of dilution and if we just fix that, then we fix the problem. So again, it's very practical, isn't it, Akin? Because like this is what this is a better way to both meet the FDA Food and Drug um, Association's like uh, demands criteria while helping the patients make better decisions. Oh man! And on that note, Dan, like before we do dip, like I just gotta get my conspiracy fairy hat on you just for a, a second, theory? like listeners. I'm I'm reaching. <laughs> beneath my desk i have my tin foil hat and i'm now placing it squarely on top of my head and i'm like hey guess what yeah these pharmaceutical companies that are pulling in about 4.5 billion 
if they really were interested in the patients, Nero and 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 Hermat wouldn't have to be doing this research because they would have hired someone who would have said, hey, here's a way in which we can make this easier. Basically, the conspiracy is the FDA were like, yo, pharmaceutical companies, you guys got to include all of this information. And the pharmaceutical companies were like, cool, we're going to do so. However, we're going to dilute it to a point where the consumer is going to be super confused. Like we know that there's some serious risks and we're just going to pump in a bunch of other things that we know are likely to happen, but not very likely. And then that means that we're able to meet the, the requests of the FDA but we're also able to push all of our Luna and Adelphi and like <laughs> Clam Blonde and whatever. <laughs> whatever Actually, I could, while that's a good conspiracy theory, there is a real truth to how, oh, okay, if we just take a step back again, the more stuff you put in there, the more attractive the drug is. Like you can almost say it that way because what they found is like we've said a couple of times now, not only do you see this less risky, but that in turn makes you think the ad is better and more attractive. So it means that like you're literally selling more drug. If you just put a whole bunch of stuff in there, whether or not it's very important, you just stick it in there. It just dilutes down the fact you're going to have a heart attack. (laughs) Yeah. The last thing I want to say about this before we dismount is, I find there to be a really cool ethical dilemma here. And it's something that the, uh, the authors actually, Nero and Hamont actually mentioned. It's just like, well, now that we know this. Then. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting to me. Now that we know this is right, is it the case that we should use that knowledge and be kind of paternalistic and not give patients all the facts? Because we know they don't make as good decisions. Or is it a moral imperative to provide all the information knowing full well it's going to confuse them they're going to make worse decisions it's well, a really tricky is... dilemma actually i don't i don't even know where i stand on it like it's a really tricky one in some ways like if you knew say you're a car manufacturer and you wanted to sell more cars then it actually just is kind of fine to say instead of having 10 models just have three people will be happier with it this isn't like that because this is like saying like say you wanted somebody to save money like in retirement should you like kind of trick them yes. and like keep a bunch of their money and just kind of trick them and then put that in retirement for them because you know they'll be happier later? Or should you give them all the money yep. and then say you really should save, but then know that they won't? Man, that's like such a fantastic like dilemma because essentially it's the question here in terms of how I understand it is, should we treat adults like adults and leave them to like, you know, come to your, like, you know, use your brain and, you know, come to a conclusion or should we kind of be treating adults like babies and kind of being a bit like, you know, you're not going to get that. You can't handle the truth. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe pick up the round one and see if that goes in the round slot. Maybe (laughs) it's, it's so difficult and it's like what makes it more difficult is like I read some of these studies and there's bits in it that I find hilarious until I remember oh they're talking about me like yeah, I'm like I'm one of them like <laughs> I'm yeah I'm part of yeah, the people there, who is there is a sense in which we'd like to say like <laughs> yeah it's like I'd love to say oh yeah everyone else is those like fools. oh look out, look out those fools. yeah no it's me. It's like I'm the champion of making terrible decisions. It's always me. Like <laughs> it's these damn brains we keep. 
All right, we better. We better. Um, this has been really fun chatting with you, and I hope that uh, I hope folks liked it enough to share it with one person. You know, if you liked it, and you got a laugh, or you learned something important. Send it to one person and say, "Hey, give this a listen." Any oh, fantastic! That that's there? such a that's such a great note. You know what, Dan? At the risk of uh, falling into the trap of the dilution effects myself, I'm just going to piggyback your point there. If you've enjoyed this, listeners, share it with one person. And on that note, you know what? (laughs) Ciao. We are out of here.